Right, so I was, I was reading out, remember I was just reading out your message. So what made me really go, right, back it, I'm going to have you on the podcast, is you sent me this message. When, when did you send it to me? You sent it to me on 20th of January. You said to me, can I just say you're a lucky bastard? And then you sent me this picture. I sustain myself with the love of family. You've got family. Dude, what did you mean by that? Like, why, why did you send me that message of all the things? Um, I think that it was just really just, I think people... Karen, I'm talking, I'm just... Suffering, suffering is something that we all go through. It's part of life. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people don't appreciate what they have and think about what they don't have. And, you know, I was just having an emotional moment, um, reflecting on the fact that, you know, I've lost all my immediate family. And, uh, you know, we're still in this battle for truth and transparency and all of this stuff, taking on Big Pharma. Do you get lonely? Um, at times, yeah, probably. Yeah, at times. I think uh, I've learned to become quite self-dependent. And, and I'm quite, I'm, I'm also very good on my own in the sense that I, I like my alone time. It allows me to think about stuff. But also, I'm very much a family person, you know? Uh, I, when I look back on the best times of my life where I felt a kind of deep sense of happiness Mm. or contentment, it's always been with people, Mm. you know, people I care about, people who care about me. So when, yeah, so, so I do miss that. I mean, I interact with lots of people. I'm quite social, but I think it's different to having a person, your person. Yeah. A close partner, intimate, whatever, the way you want to describe it. And in this battle that we're in, you know, with the stuff that that I'm doing and that you're doing, I think uh, there are moments where you go to very, very dark places. And it's in those times, Ahmad, where I feel, yeah, that sense of, of, uh, of loneliness, if you like. You know, it'd be nice to have that, that's that, that one person there that you can talk to, you can hug. Um, so that, that, that for me is something, yeah, that, that happens. That, that well, happens momentarily uh, on not an infrequent basis. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I read that, I felt quite sad because um, one thing that's really sustained me is the love of my family. And, you know, just before we started, I did a little tour of my tiny little cottage, showed you like pictures of my kids, and my wife, and, and it really has helped. It's what drives me. It's why we've done, I've done everything that I'm doing. Um, and you, you know, you then subsequently messaged and said, I owe you a podcast, mate. You're one of the first doctors to support me. I haven't forgotten. And you suffered backlash from the establishment after you put that video out. So just to give some context to people, we've not actually been in touch. You actually don't have a clue what's happened to me. When I told you I'm out of a job now, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. You were like, you're shocked. You're genuinely shocked. And I, and, I, and you're like, what can I do to help? And I was like, come on my live stream. You know, so I've got all these paid subscribers getting someone like you and his big catch. No, I, I, I was honestly generally really sad to hear that, mate, because um, you were one of the first people <clears throat> to actually come out as a, as a, in terms of the medical professionals in this country. I think if not, if I'm not wrong, the first guy we talked, we talked uh, about I think this. Sam White. Dave no, Parkman. no, with, but the, you know, the interaction with me specifically oh, okay. saying right, okay. that we need more doctors to speak out. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, you did a video and I shared it and I think it, you know, it, it got, it went viral. Yeah. I was looking on my WhatsApp feed and I'm happy to put it up. No one believes me because I'm completely transparent. Just substack on it. You asked me back in December 22, 
you said, mate, can you help me? We need to get a message out about these vaccine injuries. Can you please do a video? And I was actually operating that day. I was in my scrubs and I saw this message early in the morning. I was like, fuck it. And literally I just did one take and I was like, you know, and it, I, it was from the heart and it was like, I'm just seeing all these vaccine injuries. And it was very measured. It was very, uh, absolutely, very yeah. professional. Right. Because the truth, right. Doing your duty as a doctor. But when you're telling the truth, you don't need multiple takes. You don't no. need to lie. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm seeing, doctors are telling me they're seeing things and they're, they're scared to say things. I'm seeing things like literally like dads at the school gates going, oh, I've got a funny DVT. Cause I, I could see them. Someone's wearing yeah. shorts. And I was like, your leg's swollen. Have you got a DVT? He went, yeah, how'd you know? I mean, have you traveled? You no, mate. I went, did you have a shot recently? He was like, yeah, a few weeks back. It's just random clots, you know, turbo cancers. I've seen these things. So I did the video. And since that day, mate, I can either thank you <laughs> or blame you for where I am today. Yeah, no, I know. no, no, that's why also I felt a sense of responsibility that I was like, wow, I didn't realize that you got to a situation where you'd actually lost your, your job. Do you remember what um, I told you um, immediately after that video went, remember what happened to me? Do you remember? Because we haven't been in touch. Do you remember what happened to me? Like literally within a day or two? No, because we emailed and you got an email from your, is it medical director of your hospital yeah. or something? There two was of them. Backlash. Two of them. Two medical. Yeah. Remember that backlash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you said, said it with me and I remember. Yeah, yeah. We had an email exchange on that. Yeah. And then, and then after that, what happened was to and fro, to and fro emails and, and then referred to the GMC for being transphobic and then, you know, everything like and then one after another one hospital suspended me that another suspended me and you know what it's like you can't run a private practice if you're being suspended and if you're a surgeon i can't just have a room in harlow street um so yeah here i am thanks to you buddy hope <laughs> hope you understand that now yeah. um, and you really you've been busy you've not been following me we've not been in touch but i was just telling you now my mum had a heart attack as well yeah awful awful and you said to you told me that she's <laughs> No cardiac history. No. No major risk factors. No. And um, thank God she's okay. She's alive. But yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah. So one of the problems that I've had and um, I can't. Yeah. So this is a, this is a, actually a question for me and one of my yep. supporters, Red Ted's Roadshow. And he goes, thanks to my outspoken views on health and no sp small part due to you, Ahmed, I'm now discovering many of my friends and relatives are on statins. I struggle to come up with a simple explanation of A, why cholesterol is not bad, and B, why statins are bad. Can you ask Asim how he would approach this issue to someone who is convinced about LDL and HDL and that their doctor is the expert and I'm just a conspiracy theorist? And this actually applies to me because my mum st stopped taking statins for a few months because I convinced her not to. She's now had this heart attack. And the doctor told her, you had a heart attack because you stopped taking your statins. My brother said to me, Ahmed, you might have killed your mum because you convinced her to stop taking statins, your conspiracy theories. So this, this is really close to me now. Wow. And afterwards, they said, the doctor said, you need, now need to go to 80 milligrams of statins and if you don't, you're going to die of another heart attack. And I'm telling my mum, no, you don't. You're going to have muscle pains. You're going to have cognitive problems. And actually, it's all BS and having a high cholesterol is not a big deal. It's fine. They're the fire engines at the scene of the fire. They're not the problem. And she goes, no, I've Googled the whole, you know, the whole world is telling me I need to be on statins. You know, why is it you're the only person I'm saying this is wrong? So I get red Ted's. I get what he's saying because it's, how do we then fight back? How do we respond to that? We respond to it with uh, conversation, with information that people aren't looking at. Uh, I've spent probably 
um, well over a decade deep into the whole statin cholesterol saga. Mm. And in fact, before I, I, I go on about that a little bit more in a bit more detail, um, that actually lost me my job in the NHS. So you talk about losing a job. Mm. Um, and that, I'll come back to that, <clears throat> or, unless you want me to, to give you the full, the full story there. Quick summary. Quick summary is that, um, first and foremost, cholesterol, uh, which has been, you know, we were brought up and conditioned to think as medical students and as doctors is a, is a major risk factor for heart disease, mm. is not actually a significant risk factor for the majority of people. It's the first thing. Um, there is a strong association if you've got a genetic condition called FH, familial hyperlipidemia, which affects about 150 people. That wouldn't be a mum. So that's the first thing to say. And then we were also told that if you lower LDL cholesterol, so-called bad cholesterol, you're going to have, there is a, almost a linear relationship with the lower the LDL, the less heart attacks you have, less strokes, less death. And that was disproved by myself and two other cardiologists in BMJ evidence-based medicine journal. We did a systematic review on the evidence of drug trials. By the way, that's still drug trials, which the data still kept commercially confidential. We can talk about that later. So this is still best case scenario. And we found that when you look at all the data, there's no clear relationship. So the, L, the lowering LDL for the sake of it is misguided at best. Mm. And at worst, potentially harmful because it can give people the illusion of protection when they take a statin and therefore they are still following potentially unhealthy, making unhealthy lifestyle choices or whatever. But in the case of your mum, for example, the first thing to say is if you are at low risk of heart disease, which she would have been potentially, I don't know what her the full details, but let's just say that you do a risk calculator, right? I'm, I'm not sure. Was it a GP that prescribed statin to your mum initially? You know? Initially, yeah. Okay. So unless you've had a heart attack already or you've been diagnosed with a severe blockage, neither of which applied to your mum before a heart attack, correct? Yeah. Then you're essentially in a low risk category. So then the question is, well, what's the benefit of a statin? This is irrefutable. It's not about he said, she said, right? And if people want to understand this in a bit more depth, they can look at my book. The last book I wrote is called The Statin-Free Life, where I explain everything there. If you're at low risk of heart disease, that means you have a 20% risk of having heart attack or stroke in the next decade. The benefit of a statin for you as an individual, taking it religiously every day for five years, and if you don't get side effects, right? Because the the data I'm about to tell you is based upon people that essentially tolerated the statin. They took mm. out people with side effects and didn't, you know, didn't include them in the results, if you like. That's flawed. The benefit at best, Ahmed, one in a hundred of it preventing a non-fatal heart attack or a non-disabling stroke without any prolongation in life over a five-year period. That's before you talk about side effects. So my approach, which is, I would say, is the most ethical way of practicing medicine through informed consent, that wasn't just my view, by the way. This is the view of the medical Royal colleges I published with them in 2015 on all of this, trying to change medical practice. Is that the way you approach it with patients is, rather than say, don't take a statin or take a statin, saying, this is your benefit, what do you think? Would you like to take a statin? And most of those patients, Ahmad, don't want to take a statin and give them information. So the chances that the statin, stopping the statin, is the cause or contributed to the, your mum's heart attack is, is negligible, to be honest. It's, it's, it's highly unlikely. Do you know what I found? You know, so that's, and, and the thing is, most doctors don't know this information because we are conditioned to think in very binary terms. We're thinking high cholesterol, we need to lower it. Just to muddy the water slightly more, um, and it's interesting you say about, you know, in your mum's age, so she was, what, of 71, 72? 
we published, and I was one of the authors in this in this piece in the BMJ, a separate piece in 2016, which looked at was there an association at all, any association with LDL cholesterol and heart disease in people over 60? Two things came out of that paper. One is there was no association at all, right? There was an inverse association with all-cause mortality. In other words, statistically, the higher LDL if you're over 60, the less likely you are to die. Why is that? LDL has a role in the immune system, protective. Older people are more vulnerable to dying from infections. And the other association is that low cholesterol or low LDL cholesterol is associated with cancer, and that could also be through an immune mechanism. So in people over 60 who don't have a history of heart disease, actually, you, from the data that we've seen, we've published on, it suggests that you want your LDL to be high, mm. not low. This is exactly it's what... It's mind-blowing for people to hear this. Yeah, and I've also read Malcolm McKendrick's book, Clot Thickens. And... Malcolm's a good guy. I've, I've learned a lot from him as well. He's, yeah. He's a very good guy. Together. Ma- Malcolm actually was one of the co-authors in that paper. Right. In and, you know, Zoe Harkin was on my podcast and she was talking about statins and she's done great work on it. Yeah. She's a good egg. And it's just sad. And I think it's just a reflection of how big pharma's influenced the medical world and the medical journals and the research and medical school training. They've just captured everything and there's no critical thinking. You know, when I went to see the cardiologist or well, the junior doctor, you know, no one explained why my mother got the clot. You know, what caused it? No one talked about, you know, the heart failure afterwards or why she was coughing up blood. No one talked about the side effects of drugs. No one, no one, no one talks. They're just like automatons, like little robots. This is the guidelines. This is what you have to take. And it's quite frustrating. Navigating the healthcare system was very, very frustrating. To try and rationalize it. uh, I think just an easy way to kind of summarize the issue for people to get this. Medical knowledge, right, is under commercial control, but most doctors don't know that. You then add in, Ahmad, and you know this as a doctor, medicine, the medical profession, is hierarchical and obedient, right? So if you think about the fact that you've got a hierarchical profession, which, of course, for all intents and purposes, is, has noble intentions, but people in positions of power now are very linked, closely linked to the pharmaceutical industry, are interested in nobility they're only interested in making profit for their shareholders if that culture infiltrates our leadership and everybody else follows it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that's going to be a bad thing mm. right let's talk about a little bit about you i wanted i wanted listeners to see a side of you that maybe they haven't seen before i wanted to clear some of the stuff that's out there you know, it's really funny. There's so many divisive figures in the so-called freedom movement. I recently had a chat with Robert Malone on my podcast. <clears throat> Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. What happened? Yeah, let's not go there. Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there. Um, I've met Robert a couple of times. I mean, my listen, we all form our opinions when we meet people. I'm very intuitive. You're probably quite intuitive. You get a different impression when you meet somebody compared to how they are perceived or viewed or whatever else. Mm. Um, but... You know, I, my own impression of Robert Malone is he's a good egg. And um, yeah, I, I, I've had very nice interactions with him. That's all I'm going to say. It's great. I'm glad. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> so basically, literally just, I think it was yesterday, I had one of my listener supporters telling me how they spoke to you 
and you know you spoke to them for 30 minutes about something I don't know what it was but she was her name's Belinda that's all I'm going to say and you know she was really excited and you're charming and so nice and she thinks you're dashing <laughs> you're lovely but then I've got other people who think you're narcissistic that you're controlled opposition that you're all about me 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 and self-promoting and it's like to some people, you're a hero, and to some people, you're a villain. And I was telling you how I recently did a Substack, how I've got people saying to me, I, are you controlled opposition? Or people telling me, oh, I get people telling me all the time, you're controlled opposition. I, I thought it'd be really nice to talk to you because the one or two times I've met you, you know, you don't see that you've got a different persona when you're giving your talks. And I didn't want that. I even said to you off air, let's just be you, mate. The way you came out your car, you're waiting on the driveway because I was out dropping off my kids at club. Straight away, a big smile. You gave me a hug. You know, it's, you're very different in person to, to what I think you come across sometimes on TV or your interviews. Who is the real Asim Mahotra? What is driving you to do what you're doing? You know, is it money? You're making a lot of money? I mean, your car didn't look like, looked like a banged up. I mean, just to those listening, you're driving a very old small mini kind of car that it's a it's a honda jazz it makes my puts my car to shame it's, um <laughs> i'm glad you've actually raised that so uh well, take it take it in the light that's been given which is oh, with love and respect no, completely, and, no i get it and it's fine i'm very happy to talk about it i mean first question is i mean who are we as individuals we're not one-dimensional anyway we have different facets to our personalities right mm. so on the narcissist front, I mean, I don't think I'm a narcissist, but maybe I'm not the most objective person to talk about <laughs> that. But I also, you know, I, I know myself to be driven by compassion and love for other people. I don't think that's compatible with narcissism. People have narcissistic traits. Uh, am I confident? Uh, absolutely. You know, um, when I first came down and worked in Harefield Hospital as interventional, you know, I trained in interventional cardiology for people that don't know what that is. That's keyhole heart surgery. And I was a junior registrar and I was already doing, you know, I was much more, let's put it this way, advanced in my ability to do heart stents compared to other people, partly because I was trained up north and we had a lot more experience, you know, uh, at, a, at, a, at a younger age. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, from, I remember when I, you know, I trained in Scotland initially, in Edinburgh, and the first place I worked, uh, Ahmad, was Wishaw General Hospital, mm. a junior doctor. And it's like, you know, people used to joke about it. It's almost like being in a war zone. You go in there and you get hardened up, right? So when I come down to London, the nickname or what people said initially said, here's that cocky northerner, right? So fine. Okay. People have called me cocky or whatever else. I'm confident in 